On The Go podcast is brought to you by The Sanctuary. For more information, please visit www.thesanctuarychurch.com. Good morning, church family. I am not Pastor Marty. <laughs> Hope you realize that. Pastor Marty is actually out today. He is at his last week of residency for his master's program. We are so excited um, for him. And so if you can just take some time this week to pray for him as he's wrapping up final papers and all of those things. So uh, I am Pastor Liz. I'm the children's pastor here at the sanctuary. I've actually been on staff here just about three years coming in August. Um, since you guys don't see me regularly, I'll give you a little bit about me and take the quintessential time to show my family. Um, this is my husband, Colin, of almost 23 years. The girl in the middle is my daughter, Juliet. She'll be 22 next month. My daughter, Genevieve, 19 next month. And then my son, 15 and a half, getting his permit on Tuesday. Um, pray for us. <laughs> um, and so we are a military family. Um, my husband just wrapped up 20 years of service um, at the end or beginning of 2021. Um, and so... We are very military connected. We've been married every day of that, and so that is our story. We love our military community, and actually my husband still works with the military community out at Edwards, which keeps us connected to them. He just now can grow a beard. Um, <laughs> and they can't dictate as much where we live or what we do. So um, we are thankful for that legacy that God's allowed us to be a part of. I have also had the privilege of being raised on Superbook on Adventures in Odyssey and Salty the Singing Songbook. If you don't know who those are, I would highly encourage you to YouTube them um, or right now media them. If you don't have that subscription, you can find it online for free. Um, but basically they are the 80s and 90s equivalent of Veggie Tales. If you don't know what VeggieTales is, essentially that is the Christian equivalent to Bluey. Are we good? <laughs> all right. So it's an animated way to meet all of the characters in the Bible. I grew up learning through cartoon form who Paul and the disciples were, who Moses was, who Joseph was, and um, his brothers, and how they sold them into slavery. I'm just telling you, they get real creative on how to deal with all the taboo topics. Um, but today we are actually going to dive into one of my favorites that we've only seen in animation once, um, that I, I'm aware of at least, VeggieTales tried it, King George and the Ducky. Um, if you know where we're going, it's just about the life of David in a little spot that is often taboo um, if you read the story. Before we do that, let's go ahead and start in prayer. Lord, I thank you so much for the opportunity and privilege to bring forth your word today. God, I pray that as I speak, it would be you that speaks through me, Holy Spirit. I pray that the words that come from your scripture would fall on fertile soil, that hearts would be changed and people would understand your goodness and your faithfulness, that it will follow them all the days of their life if they choose to trust you. God, we praise you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to look at the life of David. We meet David as a young boy. He's a shepherd boy. 
He's the youngest of seven brothers. Anybody who's the youngest knows that's a little bit of a hard situation sometimes. Six other brothers competing, right? We know David, one of the famous ones of David, is when he goes out to the battlefield because his brothers are supposed to be dealing with the Philistine giant, and they are shaking in their boots, and little David, young teenager, goes out there and is like, what are you guys doing? (laughs) Our God is bigger than this. Come on. And so David, um, even though everyone else is way more equipped, has been trained in military battle, David decides, look, I'm going to show you the mighty of my God. And then he picks up some stones, and we know him as the one who took down Goliath. But really, we should know him as the one who reminded people, hey, our God is that big. Stop cowering. (laughs) Right? We know David as a king. We know him as a musician and a poet. He actually wrote a good chunk of the Psalms. But today, um, I want you to understand, David is also known as the man after God's own heart. And I remember being a young child and reading that and people saying, David, David's the man after God's own heart. And thinking, how do I get that title on the end of my name? I mean, woman, not man, obviously. But at the same time, how do I get to be known as a woman after God's own heart? And in the beauty of my being upbringing, the reality is I kind of moved into this, like, what do I have to do? How do I become the woman after God's own heart? So I could memorize scripture like the best of them. Um, I led Bible studies and all the things. I, we would walk neighborhoods and pray with people as a teenager, and God was on fire within me. But I really had this thought of, like, that's how I get this name. And then I entered into young adulthood, and I got married, and life happened. And I found myself in a position where I'd made a few choices that I thought really took that opportunity away. I remember laying in bed crying often. My husband was deployed and my oldest daughter was about 18 months old at that time. And life was hard because the reality of what I thought I could be good enough when I was younger really was fading away. And I felt like some of those choices were leading me into a place that was just going to be a life of consequence. And this is when God took me to this portion of David's story that we're going to read today. We're going into 2 Samuel 11. That's where we're going to pick up David's story. It says this. In the spring of the year, when kings normally go out to war, David sent Joab and the Israelite army to fight the Ammonites. Now let me preface this. Although I can memorize scripture, I don't always pronounce it well. Okay? (laughs) Ammonites. And they destroyed the Ammonite army and laid siege to the city of Rabab. However, David stayed behind in Jerusalem. Late one afternoon, after his midday rest, David got out of bed and was walking on the roof of the palace. As he looked out over the city, he noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. He sent someone to find out who she was, and he was told she's Bathsheba the daughter of Iliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her, and when she came to the palace, he slept with her. She had just completed the purification rites after having her menstrual period. Then she returned home. 
later, when Bathsheba discovered that she was pregnant, she sent David a message saying, I'm pregnant. (laughs) See, David (laughs) freaks out a little bit. I'm going to paraphrase so that we're not reading 40 verses of scripture this morning. But David sends word for Uriah, her husband, who's off at battle, right? We read in that first scripture, he's off at battle. And he sends for him to come because now all of a sudden David's a little bit freaking out. Like, what did I do? Uh, Here's how we're going to fix it. So he gets Uriah to come and he's like, Uriah, be at home. Be with your wife. And then he goes and sees Uriah because he gives him a gift. And guess what? Uriah does not go home and be with his wife. Because as a military wife, there's some things that I know. When you're at war, you're at war. You're not going to go home and celebrate with your wife when your other guys are out at battle because that's where you're supposed to be. And just on a side note, if you have people who served out in Afghanistan and Iraq, this is a lot of the reason why they have a really hard time transitioning back into society because their brothers and sisters are still fighting. Just on a side. But so here he is saying, oh, come. Uriah says, no, I can't do that. He actually sleeps at the door with the king, doesn't even go home. So David's like, ah, all right, well, I guess plan B. <laughs> Let me handwrite a note, send Uriah with his own death notice to the front lines to die. And what happens? Uriah dies. Now you can probably start piecing together why this one is not in an animated story very often. There's more later to come, but I'm sure we can figure out at a few points that this is why. That's the hard stuff, right? David has gotten himself into a pickle. This is a far cry from that little boy who's yelling at his brothers, how do you not believe how big our God is? Why are you quivering in front of the face of a giant? But now David is quivering at the face of his own sin. And so David begins focusing on his sin, right? When we focus on our sin, we live in shame. And you see, maybe you think that David's first bit of sin was that he slept with Bathsheba. But really, his first bit of sin was he was where he was not supposed to be. That first verse said, when kings go to war... And David, being the king, is not at war. So he probably is dealing with some emotional aspect about the fact that he is not where he should, should be. So now he's self-soothing with afternoon naps, with wandering around on the top of his palace, looking at women bathing. And then his shame takes him to a place where he just continues to focus on his sin. Right? Then... The next spot is part two. When we focus on our sin, we live in shame. But also when we focus on our sin, we seek to control. So David moves in to control the situation, right? He calls Uriah out. He's like, hey, come on. I'm going to control it. I like, I'm not going to do too much, but I'm just going to bring him and it's all going to work out. So just control the situation a little bit. It's all right, but it doesn't work out because he's continuing to focus on his sin.
when we focus on our sin, we often then move into a third thing when that doesn't work out. When we focus on our sin, we tend to manipulate. Right? We're here in shame. I'm sitting in this situation of like, I, I was doing what I shouldn't be doing. It has now become a snowball of sin. I've started to control the situation, and instead of surrendering it to God, now I've gotten into more sin. <laughs> My control didn't work, so let me manipulate, right? Control, in other words, is like, I'm going to put one thing into play. Manipulate, think of Play-Doh. I'm going to push it, manipulate it, change the situation. David got his hands real dirty <laughs> in manipulating that situation because he was not focusing on who God was, the God he knew the God he had a relationship with. Now I can assume most of you have not uh, moved into murder to cover up your sin, hopefully. Um, but the reality is, sometimes we do, right? We move really far into that space to cover up our sin. Now this is not where the story ends, hopefully. You're aware, but what happens in 2 Samuel 12, the Lord intervenes in David's behalf, and he helps him get his focus back where it needs to be. Nathan, the prophet, tells David a story. I'm going to give you the VeggieTales version because this is like my favorite. <laughs> if you've not watched King George and the Ducky, this is what they do well. Um, and so King George being King David. But Nathan says this. He says, let me tell you a story, David. There's two kids. There's two boys. One has a lot of stuff. One has little stuff. Here's this boy, and he's in his bathtub, and he has all the rubber duckies. His bathtub is full of rubber duckies. And here's this other boy, not having a lot. The other boy is in his bathtub, and he has one ducky. And he loves that ducky so much. It's so precious to him. And he's just so thankful for that one ducky. But this other boy over here sees that this ducky, he wants that one. He says, give me that ducky, that's mine. So he takes the ducky. And you know what happens? David is like, oh, what? No, that boy should not take his ducky. That's not okay. And all of a sudden, Nathan, in perfect like aha moment, looks at David and says, that man is you. And in that moment, I wonder if David just like melted. See, David didn't become defensive. We see David's response in 2 Samuel 12, 13. It says this, then David confessed to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, yes, but the Lord has forgiven you. And you won't die from this sin. Nevertheless, because you have shown utter contempt for the word of the Lord, by doing this, your child will die. Another one of those things that just doesn't land well in animation. Right? Kind of hard. See, David's focus is brought back to God. He's back brought directly back to him. He said, I have sinned before the Lord. He's no longer looking at the shame. He's no longer trying to control or manipulate. It is just an aha, smack dab moment where he goes, wow. 
I think the 14, 15-year-old David is all of a sudden right back in present going, wait, my God is mighty. My God is able. What was I doing and what was I thinking trying to go forward without acknowledging that he could fix this? See, now he is able to own his part in the story. When we focus on God, we own our part. We can say, you know what? I was wrong. We don't have to be defensive. We don't have to look back and go, yep, well, I had every right to do that. I had every right to do these things. I'm the king. I can take whatever wife I want. Yeah, he he could. But instead, he came back to the character of God, and he knew, hey, I was wrong. And actually, the story goes on that he begs the Lord to spare that child. He begs, weeps, cries, fasts, lays on the floor, so much so that the people around him are afraid that he himself is going to die. And then the baby dies seven days later. It's a hard thing. Even the man after God's own heart can't plead with him in this space. God said, no, there are consequences. It's a hard thing. Not an animated story. So then when the child died, all of a sudden David's response was this. He gets up, he takes a bath, puts some lotion on, he eats food. All the people around him are like, he has gone crazy. This is the time that he should be mourning. Except for, then he went to the tabernacle to worship the Lord. Because when we focus on God, we can own our part, but also we can trust his sovereign plan. That was a really hard thing. (laughs) But he knew, because he had walked with God repeatedly and over and over. We read all of that anguish in Psalms. David was in tune with his emotions. He was a bit of a dramatic man, if you read Psalms. (laughs) I appreciate it. But he was able to focus on God's sovereign plan and knew that it would be okay. You see, David is no stranger to the Lord being his shepherd. In Psalms 23, he says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. You guys know this. This is probably one of the most famous Psalms there is. And in verse 4, he says this. He says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For For you are with me. For your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You see, David was no stranger to being a shepherd. He was a shepherd. And so he knew God as the shepherd. And he said, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And the really interesting thing about this, David actually, it said that this was written more towards the end of his life. So this would have been after this point in his story. As a shepherd, the rod and the staff did two things. The rod was an offensive thing. He said, I fear no evil. 
I fear no lion that might come at me, no bear that might come at me, no evil plan that is coming against me because your rod is there and I know that you will defend me. But the staff, the staff kept sheep close. When sheep got out of line, sheep were off the path a little bit. The staff, he could put that crook around the neck and pull it a little bit closer. David was saying, I fear no evil, no evil, not the evil out there and not the evil within me, not the choices I'm going to make, not the choices I have made, not the choices other people are making that affect me. I fear no evil because your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I know that you will correct me. I know that you will course correct my path. See, when God brought me to this passage, I had always longed to be seen like David in the eyes of God. And now I'm starting to see, we're starting to see this is why God brought me here. Because guess what? David messed up too. <laughs> David didn't get it all right. See, I attended a Christian high school for the last three years of my high school, and it was predominantly Reformed. Um, and if you know anything about Reform and Calvinism, they live in this camp um, of predestination, believing that all things are predestined and ordained by God. And I was not, I was the outcast of the kids, essentially, because I didn't go to a Christian reform, or I didn't go to a church. And so I lived in the free will camp, because I am a child of the 90s, and let me just tell you, I'm going to do what I'm going to do, right? Free will. And when I came in, I was like, I love you guys, but also you got it wrong, because I didn't grow up in Christian school. So when I was there, I was like, y'all a little brainwashed, but here we are, we're free will in it. <laughs> And so here I am in the moment of just this battle of free will and predestination. And now I'm in 21, 22, 23 years old, and I'm thinking my free will has gotten me outside of the will of God and has left me in a life of consequence. And God in his graciousness talks to me a little bit firm because, again, I'm on the free will camp. Liz, you are not that big of a deal. <laughs> You cannot ever step out of what I have planned for you. And he gave me this picture of a maze. Do you know when you're a kid and you got the maze at, in school and you're looking at everybody else and you're like trying to see who gets through the little maze first, right? And we're like looking, <laughs> okay. And one thing I noticed is looking at other kids is they would start from the end and then go to the beginning. Who starts from the end? Anybody else start from the end? All right, I'm an end starter, and let me just tell you, it's kind of cheating a little, I feel like a little bit, but hey, it gets the job done, and I win. So that's all that matters, right? No. <laughs> so God reminded me, hey, Liz, <laughs> I am not in your timeline. You think beginning to end, but I think end to the beginning. See, God always takes our free will into account. In Isaiah 46, 9 through 11, it says this, Remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand. And I will accomplish all my purpose. Calling a bird of prey from the east, the man of my counsel from a far country, 
I have spoken, and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed, and I will do it. See, God takes our ideas end from the beginning. He's already taking into account our free will. And this is the moment I realize, wait a minute, I probably don't sit in this camp as much, but I also don't sit in this camp because I think it's a little bit of both. I think that God takes into account our free will because he desires us to love him in a place of free will. He desires us to trust him, forward motion with our lives. But also, he's too good to be unkind. And so here he is saying, hey, I still have a precious will for you. And David's free will and God's sovereign plan collide in 2 Samuel 13, 24. It says this, it says, Then David comforted Bathsheba, his wife. He slept with her. She became pregnant and gave birth to a son. And David named him Solomon. The Lord loved that child. See, when we focus on God, we can see that he is a good author. We can trust his sovereign plan, and we can trust that he is writing a beautiful story. Who doesn't love a good story? Right? Don't we love having the twists and the turns and all the things? It's fun. It's fun to see it all work out in the end. It's so cool. Um, but in the middle of my life, let me just tell you, I don't enjoy those parts. Um, <laughs> but the reality is God is writing a good story about your life. And he did the same in David's life. See, I wonder how Bathsheba felt. I wonder... The pain. See, when the king summons you, you just go. <laughs> but the word does say that she loved Uriah. It's complex emotions. The king is seeking you, but now your husband, and now you get pregnant, and then your husband dies. I don't know. It does, the word doesn't say whether she knew that, Uriah, or that David actually had a hand in that or not. I don't know. <laughs> but I wonder... I wonder that pain walking through the sin of other people and how that affected her. But I also wonder when she saw Solomon play and when she saw how he was raised up in wisdom and when he was crowned king and the one thing he asked God for is to be a king of wisdom if all of a sudden some of those little pieces came together and the dots were being made of God's faithfulness to her in the midst of really hard things. You see, when Good Good Father came out, the song you guys know, it's a, it's a yeah, I'm a good good father, and we're going to sing it in a little while, but I had a really hard time singing Good Good Father, not because I don't have a good dad, just my dad passed away when I was little. And so being able to click in my brain that um, a father wants to be good to me all the days of my life is really hard because my narrative says my father set something in motion and then he's gone. And then somebody else came in. And my stepfather, who I love and adore and I am so thankful for, 
God wrote a good story there, but it was just really hard for me to grasp that song. And maybe for you, for other reasons. But a lot of times I would sing, God, you are a good, good author. It's who you are. It's who you are. Because there's never been a day in my life that I've not been able to lean into Romans 8.28 that says, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. See, God writes really good stories. And sometimes in the midst of really hard things, it's one of those moments you're like, God, I don't like it. I don't enjoy it. But I trust your sovereignty because you are a good author. You write good things for my good and for your glory. At Christmas time, I was taking some time to um, make some of my grandma's recipes, and all my kids were home, and so I was um, wanting to teach them. My grandma used to send out these boxes of bread and cookies and all kinds of goodies at Christmas, and so um, I wanted to pass that along to them. So we're trying to do some of that, and we didn't get to the bread, and so now I'm, I'm dealing the bread on one of my Sabbath days and just spending time with the Lord. And I look over to my table, and in my mind's eye, I see my grandma sitting there, with this little smirk on her face. See, my grandma always had this little smirk on her face when we did things that she had taught us to do. Baking, sewing, just spending time with my kids. She just always had this sweet little smirk. Not a woman of many words. You see, a couple years ago, we found out through 23andMe that my mom and my aunt and my uncle came about in this world a little bit differently than we had thought. My grandma took that story to the grave but I wonder if when she sat there and smirked, she thought like Bathsheba and David did when they saw Solomon play. That in the midst of our own sin and our own mistakes and our own things, this is the legacy God is working out. I would not be here without those sin situations. I would not be here. But God's plan and the free will of my grandma collided. And here we are. Now, this is no free pass to just go sin. Because <laughs> let me tell you, there were moments when I'm reading this story, I'm like, oh, okay, well, that's fine. As long as I'll just do it, and then it becomes the will of God. No, no, no. That's manipulation. Don't do that either. There's consequences to that probably heavier than you really want to pay. But what I do know is that God is a good author and that if you trust him and you believe his plan is sovereign, when you go and stand on the site of the most traumatic thing that has happened in your life, you can look at God and say, I trust you, God. This was painful. This shaped my life and turned a course. When my dad died, that was traumatic. That was hard. But here I sat there and looked at the site that as a small child stood against a building watching chaos happen. Emergency vehicles and people being pulled out of a fire and all of these things happening. But now as an adult, I could go back there and stand. God... 
I trust you. You are a good author. It's who you are. But even more, you're a good father. And you love me so much to not allow me to just live in my free will. That you took into account every bit of everything that I would choose. And that you've met me and collided me to be here in this moment. For your glory, let your will be done. Let's close in prayer. God, I thank you. I thank you that you love each and every person in this space. I thank you that you are a good author. And you are authoring the lives of those here and those you love. God, that you are not unkind. You are too good to be unkind. You are so gracious, Lord. Help us to trust you more in times when other people's sin affects us, when our sin affects us. Help us to focus on you and your goodness. Lord, help us to own our part. Help us to trust your sovereign plan and to know that you are a good author. Lord, we love you and we thank you.